Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 13. Our Father, we give thanks to you in Jesus' name for your holy written word, knowing that it's been tested and tried and found to be good, faithful, and trustworthy and true. We know that we can trust our lives to its provisions. We thank you for the anointing upon your word and upon our ears to hear it accurately, our hearts to receive it, our minds to be open unto it. As an act of our will, we say that we are attentive, we will not be distracted. We thank you, Spirit of God, for enlarging our capacity to receive revelation, knowledge, wisdom, understanding, and ability of all things that pertain to life and godliness. I thank you for utterance, that I may boldly proclaim the truth of the Word and demonstration of the Spirit of power, that our faith would stand not in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Father, we give you glory that we are doers of your Word and not hearers only in Jesus' name. Amen. We are studying the subject of righteousness. First of all, because in Matthew 6:33 Jesus said that we should. He said, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things would be added unto you. It's important that we understand righteousness, the righteousness of God, as well as the operation of the kingdom of God. In Hebrews 5:13, we find another reason why we should study the subject of righteousness. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. We do not want to remain spiritual babes. Our desire is to grow and develop spiritually. Our desire is to achieve God's ultimate purpose for all of our lives. We don't want to study God's word just to become theologians. We don't want to be just theologically right in our thinking. We want to experience reality with God. We want to develop into the very image of Christ Himself. For the Bible says that we've been called to be conformed to the image of God's Son. God's ultimate purpose for all of our lives is that each and every one of us experience the reality of His nature, the reality of His character, and walk in in the light thereof. In other words, He wants to reproduce His life in us. That's what He wants to do. So that we can be the light of the world, the salt of the earth. So that He could live through us, demonstrating His loving kindness and tender mercies, manifesting Himself in His glory and His power. Another translation will help us better understand the Scripture. In the 20th century New Testament, it says... For everyone who still has to take milk knows nothing of the teaching of righteousness. And the Phillips translation of the latter part says, He simply has not grown up. And we don't want that, do we? You see, if we are going to grow up and experience this highest purpose of God's will for our lives, then we must understand the doctrine or the teaching of righteousness. So what we're going to do is we're going to start by 
discovering what righteousness is. And if you would please turn with me to the book of Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Romans 1, 16. What righteousness is. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. First of all, righteousness is one of the chief aspects of the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and is a major theme of the book of Romans. Other translations of the same scripture will help us understand this in a better way. Haman says, it being God's own weapon of might, that is the gospel, it is the means of becoming righteous before God and this righteousness that we become before God is being revealed in it, springing out of, leading up to faith, as Scripture says, now the righteous who is so by faith shall have life. Lovett's translation says it this way, It is a power which emanates from God and saves all who believe in it. It reveals God's way of making men righteous as Himself. It is a process which from beginning to end is entirely by faith. As the Scripture says, He who receives his life by faith is made right with God. So we see here that righteousness is a chief aspect of the gospel. For in the gospel we have the revelation of man being made right with God. Something that man lost in the fall. But notice it goes on to say that God makes man as righteous as God is himself. A truth that staggers the mind and challenges the intellect. Can we really believe that we have been made as righteous as God is himself? Well, if we study properly and carefully we'll find out that it's absolutely true. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. Verses 17 through 21. In particular, we'll highlight verse 17 and 21. But in these scriptures, we'll have a revelation of the fact that righteousness is what the believer becomes in Christ. Righteousness is what the believer is made in Christ. This righteousness is a chief aspect of the gospel, and it's also an important spiritual force in the recreated human spirit of the believer. Righteousness is what the believer is made in Christ. Not something that he earns, not something that he works for, but something that he is made or becomes in Christ. In verse 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new, and all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, 
and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, or to make it known, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word or the message of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made. And underline this. The righteousness of God in him. So in that verse of Scripture, we have the revelation of the fact that righteousness is what the believer becomes in Christ. We are made to be the righteousness of God in Christ by virtue of the new birth. And by definition, righteousness is the state or the condition of being right with God. It is the ability to stand before the presence of the Almighty God without a sense of guilt, inferiority, sin consciousness, or condemnation. We can enter into the divine presence of the Holy God, the Creator of all mankind, without a sense of unworthiness, without a sense of failure, without a sense of defeat or inadequacy, without a sense of unworthiness. You see, Adam lost this in the fall. This is something that he lost in the fall. He was used to entering into the presence of God, communing with Him, fellowshipping with Him, sharing with Him. But that was lost when Adam fell. And when he fell, man developed a highly developed sin consciousness. He felt guilty to be in the presence of God. He was fearful. He was afraid to be in the presence of God. How can I regain this that I've lost was going through his mind and in his heart? Well, it was impossible for man to regain that position that he had in Christ or, or with God. It was impossible for him ever again to feel righteous or to sense himself worthy to stand in the presence of the Almighty God. He lost that. He could never regain it by himself. It was something that God had to do His own way. Man was not worthy enough to do anything by his own ability to regain what he had lost in the fall. And so God set a plan in motion. And in that plan, He provides righteousness, which by virtue of recreating the human spirit imparts to the spirit of the person the divine righteousness of God. You see, the new creation or the new creature is a new species that never before existed. That's what it means. When our spirits are regenerated, there is an impartation of the life and the nature of God, the divine nature of God that enters into the human spirit. By virtue of this divine nature, the Bible says we escape the corruption that is in the world through lust. What is that corruption? It is the corruption of spiritual death that lauds itself inside the heart or the spirit of the individual who is separated from God. But along with that divine nature is divine righteousness. And at the time of regeneration, the condition of the man's spirit changed. Divine righteousness was imparted to that spirit 
And he became the righteousness of God in Christ. Not his own righteousness, for his own righteousness is as filthy rags. This is a work of the Spirit of God in the spirit of the human being. It is a state of being. It is a condition. It is not something that's earned. It's not something that's worked for. It is something that God does through divine means. He imparts divine righteousness into the spirit of the individual because of the completed work of Christ on Calvary. It cannot be achieved any other way. But what it does, beloved, is tremendous things. Many beautiful things it does. But by definition, this is what it means. It gives man the ability to stand in the presence of the Almighty God once again without inferiority, sin consciousness, guilt, a sense of inadequacy. It enables him to be there to fellowship with him as though sin had never taken place, as though Adam had never fallen. It's amazing, isn't it? Look at Romans chapter 10. I want you to see something here. Something that bears witness to the fact that we cannot of our own selves establish ourselves in righteousness. Adam lost the way from the presence of God. That way would have never been found had Jesus not come. Man would have never, ever, ever been able to enter once again into the presence of God had it not been for the Lord Jesus Christ and His redemptive work. That would have been an impossible thing to have happen. In Romans chapter 10, we see that it was a stumbling block to the Jews. In verse 1, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. You know you can be zealous for God and zealous after God, but not according to knowledge. The Apostle Paul was zealous. He went about doing all that he thought that was good, and he was killing Christians. He was doing damage and bringing damage to the kingdom of God, to the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the body of Christ, to the church. Yet he had a zeal toward God. He thought he was doing God's service. But he was wrong. Sincere, but sincerely wrong. The Jews were the same way. They had a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. What were they ignorant of? For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, didn't Jesus say, seek the righteousness of God? They were ignorant of God's righteousness, and they went about establishing their own righteousness. See, under the Old Covenant, they had a limited righteousness. By the sacrifice of lambs and and, and animal sacrifices, they had a limited approach to God. That's what they had. And they were satisfied with that. They thought that this was it. This was the end. This is how God wanted it to be. But it was not the end. All that was pointing to something that was far better than what they had. God was not done when He gave man limited righteousness to enter into His presence. He was not finished yet. The work was not complete. He wasn't satisfied with that. And so, you see, He sent Jesus to be the right sacrifice, the proper sacrifice, that would give man not limited righteousness, but unlimited righteousness. But the Jews were ignorant of this. What did Hebrews 5.13 say? He that needs milk is unskillful in the message or the doctrine of righteousness. And they were. They didn't fully comprehend the message of righteousness. That is God's righteousness. And so they went about establishing themselves in their own righteousness. I pray every day, sometimes twice a day. I go to the synagogue. I pay my tithes. I give alms. I give to the poor. 
And I do all these different things. But you see, the big I gets in the way. Just like the difference between Cain and Abel. The big I gets in the way. I'm going to do it my way. Well, Abel had a better sacrifice, didn't he? Because he didn't do it his way. He didn't go about to establish his own righteousness by the work of his hands, by the sweat of his brow, giving what he produced out of the fruit of the earth to God. This is what I did. No, he went about and took a sacrificial lamb, presented its blood to the Father. And God recognized that he knew that he was not fit to be in the presence of God. There was nothing he could do to make himself fit to be in the presence of God. There was nothing he can do to reestablish himself in righteousness before God. But you see, Cain was different. I'll do this, and I'll do that, and I'll do this, and I'll do that, and I'll be okay. We hear people saying it every day today. I'm okay. I go to church. I pray once in a while. I study the Bible. I do this, or I do that. None of that. No works that we can do can ever put us in the position of being right with God. It is only a work of God by the Spirit of God that He does in the heart of a man because of the works of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Father's great plan of redemption. Apart from that, men can never be righteous before God. The Jews didn't understand this. They went about to establish themselves in their own righteousness. Notice verse 3 again, the latter part. Have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. So the Jews went about establishing their own righteousness and they did not submit themselves to the righteousness of God and for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. But the righteousness which is of faith, notice the difference, that righteousness is the righteousness of the law that they live under. Man attempting to please God by doing certain works, Thou shalt not, thou shalt, thou shalt not, thou shalt. Doing those works, he established himself in a limited type of righteousness, but was all to be pointing to something that was far better. And they missed that. They didn't understand that. But the righteousness that we are under is the righteousness that comes by faith, not by the law, not by works, not by acts of penance not by things that we can do to make restitution for our sins. We can never do that. There isn't anything we can possibly do to take away sin. There isn't anything that we can possibly do to establish ourselves in righteousness, to eliminate the effects of sin from our lives. We cannot do anything. So the righteousness that Jesus came preaching, the righteousness that Paul continued preaching was the righteousness that was of God that comes by faith in Christ Jesus. And here in verse 6, it tells us how we can have it. But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. Say not in thine heart, who shall ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above. Or who shall descend into the deep? That is to bring up Christ again from the dead. But what saith it? What saith what? The righteousness which is of faith speaks. What does this righteousness which is of faith say? Well, this is what it says. But what saith it? It says, the word of righteousness. They're unskillful in the word, the message, or the doctrine of righteousness. 
The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Now notice, for with the heart man believeth. This righteousness has nothing to do with works. It has nothing to do with what we do. We cannot earn it. We cannot work for it. This righteousness is by faith. It comes by faith. It comes by believing with our heart. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. It's a product of the heart and of the mouth. It has nothing to do with the works that we have done. So in order for us to be established in the righteousness of God, the heart must be dealt with. We must understand the revelation of God's plan. We must understand the righteousness of God that's being offered unto all people today. It is the righteousness that comes by faith in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ and no other way. And if we'll believe that with all of our heart and make our public confession of faith in the Lordship of Jesus Christ... Our spirits will be regenerated. The life and the nature of God will be imparted to our spirit. The divine righteousness of God shall also be imparted to our spirit because it's a part of the divine nature of God. And then we become the righteousness of God. Thank God it's not our righteousness. Thank God it's His righteousness. The righteousness of God in Christ. And that's why He said to seek God's righteousness. The Jews failed to do that, didn't they? They failed to do exactly what Jesus told them to do, didn't they? Seek the kingdom of God in its operation and the righteousness of God. And what did they fail to do? To seek the righteousness of God. And they continued about establishing themselves in their own righteousness. And that was their stumbling block. That's how they missed the mark. They were ignorant of the righteousness of God. So the new creation, you see, is not only declared righteous by God... But the new creation is a partaker of the very righteousness of God in His Spirit. He is not only judged to be righteous, He has within Him the very righteous nature of God. And before we go any further, I believe it's important that I warn us that we do not go or enter into any of the two extremes that exist when it comes to this teaching on righteousness. That we avoid these ditches. Remember the Bible always teaches us about don't turn to the right and don't turn to the left. What's it talking about? The way of the Lord is straight and narrow. Walking down the middle of the road, straight and narrow. But on the right-hand side we have a ditch and on the left-hand side we have the ditch when it comes to all the doctrines of the Word of God. We can take it to extremes on both sides, on either side. So on one side we have those that Say the doctrine of righteousness is put off into the future. If He made us righteous, that's great. It is something that we'll experience down the road somewhere. When we receive a new body, when we're glorified in His presence, then we'll experience the fullness of that righteousness. And what they do is they go about teaching that we're just sinners, saved by grace. God's not done with me, I'm just a sinner. I'm saved by grace. I thank Him for it. But I'm a worm in the dust. 
You can hear it in praying. Oh, Lord, I'm so unworthy to approach your presence. I'm so unworthy of being here before you. But if you find some room in your heart, please listen to what I have to say. Please hear my prayer. I've heard this kind of teaching time and time again. I've heard this kind of, pr- kind of praying time and time again. And it just made me amazed. I just kind of wondered. That sounds humble, but it's a false humility. It is not based on truth. I know in our own selves, in our own human nature, we feel a sense of inadequacy. We feel a sense of failure. We feel a sense of unworthiness. But thanks be to God, we do not walk by feelings. Thanks be to God, we walk by faith in the Word of the living God. Aren't you thankful for that? So if you have found yourself saying, Oh Lord, I'm just so unworthy to be in your presence. I'm so unworthy to have you hear my prayer. Stop praying like that. Don't pray like that. That's an extreme. That's a ditch on one side of the road that we want to avoid. You're not a worm in the dust. I've got great news for you. You were a worm in the dust. You were a sinner. You were saved by grace. You now are saved by grace. You're a new creation, a new species who never before existed. You're saved by grace, and now you've become the righteousness of God in Christ. You are His workmanship, created in righteousness and holiness of truth. You are the workmanship of God. God does not make unrighteous new creations. He imparts His divine righteousness into the spirit of the man, and the man becomes the righteousness of God in Christ no matter what he thinks, no matter what he feels, no matter what circumstances may dictate. Thanks be to God, He has worked His work within us. Now, we acknowledge that as the truth, but let me also share with you the extreme on the other side. I have discovered in the faith movement that many use this teaching of righteousness, or let me say it this way, many abused this teaching of righteousness because they failed to acknowledge the legal and the vital side of their redemption. Positionally, we are in Christ, the righteousness of God, and we are seated at the Father's right hand. And we thank Him for that. But how many of you know that you're still living in a physical body here upon this earth? And there are still a lot of things to contend with upon this earth. We're still down here. Our position is in heaven, but our residency right now is we're living upon the earth. Okay? We're ambassadors. We're in a foreign mission field, so to speak, representing the very throne room of God. We are the righteous of God technically, legally. It has happened in the new birth. But there is a vital side to our redemption that must be understood. We just can't take that and run with it and develop a haughty spirit and an arrogant attitude. God does not want us doing that, and many did. They developed a haughty spirit and an arrogant attitude, going about saying things like, Well, bless God. I'm the righteousness of God, and it doesn't matter who you are. I know who I am. And just talking to people like as though that they really know who they are. They know what they have. And you know what? We should. But God did not impart His divine righteousness so that we can develop a haughty spirit or an arrogant attitude because that goes before fall. The vital side of our redemption is this. We develop righteousness consciousness. It's not automatic in operation. It's not automatic in manifestation. Even though we become the righteousness of God in Christ, 
if we don't develop righteousness consciousness, we can still be overcome by sin consciousness and we can still be overcome by this sense of pride and arrogance and develop a haughty attitude, even about spiritual things. I call it an arrogant spiritual attitude. So we can be that way in the natural. We can be that way also here when it comes to spiritual things. Putting other people down because they don't know who they are. You know what that tells me? When people do that, then they don't even understand the, the walk of love. Because love doesn't do that. Love doesn't put down the body of Christ. Love builds up the body of Christ. And I've been quite frank about it. If someone even doesn't want to understand this truth, I'm not going to force it upon them or push it down their throat. I'm just going to pray for them and say, Father, reveal that to them and show that to them. But there will always be those who will listen and who will give heed to what the Scriptures teach and what they say. So, beloved, don't think that we have automatically experienced the, the fullness of this. In our spirits, we have. But don't think that we're walking automatically in the re full reality of it unless we have developed our, our consciousness of righteousness. We cannot develop righteousness because righteousness is a condition, a state of being. It's there. We're the righteousness of God. God has imparted His righteousness to our spirits. We're as righteous as He is. That means we are in right standing with Him. But, beloved, the consciousness of that is what enables us to really grow and develop spiritually and what enables us to better effectively use our authority that we have in the name of Jesus. So once again, before we go any further, remember this. There are two sides to it that we want to avoid. Both extremes. It's not off to the future. We're living as worms in the dust. And also, it's not meant to give us a haughty spirit or an arrogant attitude. It's meant for us to develop righteousness, consciousness, and allow the effect of righteousness have its way in reality in our lives. Now next, let's talk about what righteousness does. What righteousness does. Turn with me to the book of Colossians chapter 1. What does this righteousness do? Remember, these are only helps. We're talking about studying the Bible to develop spiritually and grow spiritually. What does righteousness do? Righteousness is a force of the recreated human spirit imparted to the Spirit at the time of the new birth. And what does it do? Make note of this. It restores to man all that he lost in the fall and gives, back, and gives to man a new relationship with God. It restores to man all that he lost in the fall and it gives back to man or it gives to man a new relationship with God. See, new creation means new species that never before existed. That means that, that man has a new relationship with God that was never before experienced. So it gives to man a new relationship with God. But first of all, let's talk about the first part of that statement. It restores back to man all that he lost in the fall. Colossians chapter 1, verse 21 and 22. And you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Number one, it restores man's standing with God. It restores man's standing with God. And beloved, it took 4,000 years to do this Let's not take it lightly. Man lost his standing in the fall, and it can only be restored by divine righteousness being imparted to the spirit of the man 
It took God 4,000 years to do this. It's no small thing, is it? Well, why didn't God do it immediately? Because He had to do it in the earth through man. That's why, and it took 4,000 years for this to happen. Man was insecure. Man was inadequate. Man was unworthy. Man was condemned. Man was guilty. Man was lost without hope, without help, without God in the world. But thanks be to God, because of the blood of Jesus and divine righteousness being imparted to our spirit, He presents us now to God, holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in the sight of the Lord God Almighty. Righteousness does this. What a blessed statement. What a glorious truth. In Jude 24, we see the same thing. Jude 24, we have the same truth reiterated. It says, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, divine righteousness, the impartation of the life of God presents us by the blood of Jesus faultless before the presence of the glory of God. Beloved, man was banned out of that presence. Man was removed from the garden. Man was banned from the tree of life. He had no access to God in the world again without hope. Thanks be to God, the blood of Jesus gives us divine righteousness. The ability to approach His presence once again. Thanks be to God that we're now faultless. You know, it's not our fault that man fell. Why wasn't there? Were you in the garden? I didn't do it. Adam did it. I'm a product of his loins, and so are you. But he was a figure representative for all mankind. Thank God for the second Adam. He came, and he did fulfill the plan of God. And because of one man's disobedience, sin reigned, and death by sin. But thanks be to God, by one man's act of righteousness, we all become righteous. We're all holy. We're all without spot. We're all faultless and blameless before the presence of the glory of the Creator God of all the universe. Oh, thanks be to God. This is what it does. And in Hebrews, Lowe's Father, chapter 10, we'll see this a couple of times. It says, glory to God, that because our sins have been remitted, in verse 19, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus by this new and living way. See, all this is talking about us entering into the presence of God. He presents us to the Father, holy, spotless, without blemish, without blame, before the presence of the glory of God. So, what does righteousness do? It restores our standing with the Father God. Here in 1 John 1, 3, the second thing it does, it restores our fellowship. 1 John, that's the first epistle of John, chapter 1 and verse 3. And you'll find the scripture also in, or the statement of truth in 1 Corinthians, rather, 1, 9. It restores our fellowship with God. See, without a standing before God, Adam was afraid to approach him, afraid to talk to him, afraid to walk with him. Many fail to meet him on a day-by-day basis in fellowship and communion. Do you know why? They're still afraid to approach God. I feel so unworthy to pray. I feel so unworthy to talk to you today. Oh, Father God, if you just find it somewhere in your mercy to meet my need, please do so. And they shrink from that time of intimacy and fellowship with God. Beloved, righteousness gives us a standing with God. We can intrude into His presence with boldness and confidence and say, Father, I'm here because I'm your child. Because I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. 
Our, stand, our standing is right before Him right now. And now we can begin to commune with Him. We can begin to talk with Him because in 1 Corinthians rather 1, 9, we've been called into fellowship. And look at this scripture here. John was talking about keeping in fellowship with the Father. Verse 3. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. You talk about keeping company. Would you like your young one to keep company with the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ? Where are you going today, son? Going to meet the Father and Jesus? Going to have a time of fellowship. Talk together a little bit. Take a walk out there in the outside. Nice day. Going to talk to the Father God. Beloved, we've got to take time to do that. We've got to make time to do that. To fellowship with God. Because we've been called unto fellowship. God's desire was to have a family. God's desire was to have His children love Him. Hug Him. Worship Him. Bless Him. Talk about their life with Him. The affairs of their lives. He wants involved in all the affairs of our lives. The activity of our lives. He wants to be involved in. He wants us to talk things over with Him before we do things. We've been called to fellowship. Righteousness restores fellowship. We can commune with Him. We can talk with Him intimately. Also, in, we saw this in Hebrews, going back to Hebrews again, 10. A couple of things in this section of Scripture. It restores our faith in God. Our faith in God. Righteousness restores our faith in God. In verse 19, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us to the veil of his flesh, and having a high priest of the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Righteousness enables us to go boldly into the Father's presence, and that means with confidence. It does something inside our hearts that enables us to have faith instead of fear. Sin consciousness caused what? Fear. He, Adam feared God. He didn't want to be in the presence of God. But righteousness produces faith. We recognize that we can walk into the Father's presence. And that affects our spirit man in a positive way. We can trust Him. We can rely upon Him because He loves us. He cares for us. And we know that it produces and builds faith within our spirit lives. We're not afraid. We're not ashamed. We're not naked. We're not in terror before His presence. We're there boldly by the blood of the Lamb. And thank God, it causes faith to rise in our hearts. We have assurance and confidence and boldness that He hears our prayer. So it restores our faith in God. I love this one. Go to Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, it restores our peace. It restores our peace. Righteousness restores our peace. The word justify is the same as being made righteous. Therefore, being justified by faith. In other words, therefore, being declared righteous by faith or being made righteous by faith. It's through faith that we are righteous, is what it's saying. In verse 1 and verse 2, in verse 1, what it does is it restores our peace with God. And in verse 2, it opens up the door to all that God has. You'll love this. The first part, verse 1, it restores our peace with God. But in verse 2, we see it opens up the door to everything that God has. Therefore, being justified or made righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace of mind. Spiritual peace rising up big on the inside to guide us, to lead us, to act as an umpire within our lives. We're at peace with God. We're not in turmoil. Thank God we have peace. By whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. By the faith 
that has caused us to enter into this realm of righteousness with God. We have access into the grace of God. It opens up the door to everything that God has. And it all comes by virtue of our standing before the Lord. By divine righteousness. Look at Isaiah 32, 17. It confirms the same thing. It was prophesied that the New Testament believer would be established in peace. The effect of peace. Or the effect of righteousness, rather, would be peace. Isaiah 32. Verse 17 says, And the work of righteousness shall be peace. And the effect of righteousness, quietness and assurance a little bit, for a short while, forever. He was predicting a time, talking about a time when man's heart would come back into, into relationship and fellowship with God in such a way that peace would be produced inside the heart of the man that would have an effect upon his life that would let that man know he can be confident, quiet, and assured before God. Not groping about in darkness wondering where he's going to go. Wondering where he's going to spend his eternity. He knows he has peace with God. Thanks be to God that righteousness has restored our peace. Look at Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1. What else does it restore? Freedom. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1. You'll, you'll know if you read the entire book that the Apostle Paul was writing to these people because he was being undermined. His teaching was being undermined by the Judaizers and they were undermining his work, his teaching, trying to tell these believers that they had to live their lives by the law. But Paul keeps writing and telling them, look, man cannot be established in righteousness by the law that comes by the law. It'll never happen. Hold your place there, five uh, one, and go on back to see Galatians chapter three. Verse six says, "Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Know ye therefore that they which are of faith the same are the children of Abraham." Know ye therefore that those that are of faith are the children of Abraham. Abraham was established in righteousness. He was established in righteousness before the law ever came. And so the law produced a limited righteousness, but those who lived under the law could not have the righteousness which is of God by faith. And that's, look, look at verse, or chapter 2, verse 16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, justified means made righteous, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith or made righteous by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be made righteous. And he goes on to say, Abraham was justified or declared righteous by faith, not by the works of the law that he had done. He did it by his faith or belief in the future redemptive plan of God. And so he argues with these people, telling them, look, we've been redeemed from the curse of the law. You can't live by the ordinance of the law. You can't be declared righteous by the works of the law. You'll never be justified. Look at verse 11 of chapter 3. But that no man is justified by the law on the sight of God is evident 
For the just shall live by faith. Look at the argument once again. We live by faith. In the gospel, we have the righteousness of God revealed. The just live by faith, not by the works of the law, not by the things that He does. We live by faith in, in the redemptive plan of God, in the works of Jesus. Jesus redeemed us from, from sin consciousness. So stand fast. He's telling these people in the liberty. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. Don't go about establishing your own righteousness. Don't think you're going to get to heaven by keeping the law. Don't think that all the works that you do is going to amount to a hill of beans or to anything before God. Look, stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has set you free and made us free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. What's the yoke of bondage? The keeping of the law puts you under the bondage of the law, the bondage of fear. You can't keep the law. We cannot be good in the flesh. We cannot be perfect enough in the flesh to be declared righteous before God. So Paul says, look once and for all. I'm telling you, we've got to go by the way of God, the righteousness which is of God, which comes by faith. So don't be in bondage to the law in fear, but allow the liberty that you have in Christ by faith to dominate your life. And so he says, stand fast in the liberty or the freedom. Righteousness restores freedom. Freedom from what? I'm glad you asked. Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, who, doesn't, who don't keep the law, but after the Spirit, which is the spiritual law of faith that enables us to experience the righteousness of God. Thanks be to God that we have freedom from guilt, freedom from condemnation. Look at that scripture, Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life has made us free from the law of sin and death. And that means there's no more guilt. There's no more law of sin and death reigning over our lives with sin consciousness to hold us in bondage fearful before God, as if we were guilty and condemned and defeated and unworthy and inferior and inadequate. God does not condemn us. God does not bring us down. And so Paul tries to beg to them and plead with them to look, stand fast in the liberty, be free from all that. Jesus came to make you free from all that. Don't get back under bondage to that. Be free from all that. Look at verse 15. You've not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but the spirit of adoption, whereby you cry, Abba, Father. Don't go back under the law. You're a child of God, not just a servant of God. You're a child of the Most High God. Go on down to verse 31. What shall then we say to these things? If God before us, who could be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? I like that. We are God's elect. Washed in the blood, the righteousness of God in Christ. Who's going to lay anything to, our, to, to us? Any, any to, to our charge? Who's going to do that? Who's going to bring guilt and condemnation and accusation and all those things against you and against me? And he goes on and names all these different things that the devil can do to you and to me. And he sums it all up by saying, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loves us. All that the devil can do to us, we're more than conquerors. Why? Because we've been made the righteousness of God in Christ. That's why we're more than conquerors. Do you see how important that is? We'll never overcome those things unless we develop in righteousness. But all those things are overcome by our recognizing that, look, we're not under the spirit of bondage again to fear. We're not under the law. We're under the blood of Jesus. We're under liberty where Christ has set us free from guilt and condemnation. Let the devil and his cohorts con condemn us and accuse us and do all that they do. Who is he that condemneth? Look at the next verse. 
Verse 34. Who, who, who shall lay, or who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Look at verse 33 again. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that not condemned us. It is God that made us righteous. Are you ready for that? The devil accuses us before God, and God says, I made him righteous. That's why there's, he, he cannot accuse the brethren any longer. Do you understand that? Can he go before the Father and accuse? What's he accusing? We're, we're washed in the blood. What accusation can he make? We're washed in the blood. We're pure. We're holy. We're spotless. We're faultless. But if he can get you to think otherwise, he'll hold you in bondage of sin, consciousness, and fear. We've got to hurry. Ephesians 1.6. We've got some good stuff here. Ephesians 1.6. You got your speed reading ready to go, course ready to go? Take one before next Sunday. Ephesians 1.6 says, We are free from rejection. We are to the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us rejected. Wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. Say it with me. I'm accepted in the Beloved before God's throne. You see that? It deals with Rejection. We are free from rejection. It doesn't matter what man says, what man does. We're accepted of God. And beloved, that's enough. We're accepted of God. Isaiah 54, 14 and 17. Beautiful scriptures. Let's quickly turn to this. Isaiah 54, 14. And also verse 17. We quote some of these scriptures in part, but sometimes I think we fail to put it all together to recognize the full import of what's being said. In verse 14, he's talking about the call of the Gentile. He's talking about the Gentile coming to God and being declared righteous in the presence of God. Verse 14, In righteousness shalt thou be established. Talking about the Gentile. Thou shalt be far. See, we're to be established in righteousness. The righteousness which is of God. Notice what it will do for us. It will make us free. This liberty in Christ will make us free from the fear, or from fear and oppression and terror. Thou shalt be established in righteousness. Thou shalt be far from oppression, for thou shalt not fear, and from terror it shall not come near you. You're the righteousness of God. You're established in that. And fear tries to come, but it can't get near you. It bounces off of you because you're the righteousness of God in Christ. You have no terror of being lost and devastated any longer because you're in Christ. Look at The devil will come at you. It'll try to gather around about you in verse 15. Verse 16, I've created the smith that bloweth the coals and the fire that bringeth forth his instrument for his work. I've created the waste to destroy. But you know what? No weapon formed against you is going to prosper. Every tongue that's arising against you in judgment is condemned. Why? Because this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. That's why no weapon formed against us is going to prosper. Because we are the righteousness of God in Christ. Freedom from terror. Freedom from fear. Freedom from oppression. Hallelujah. See, beloved, it's not just one prayer. That might give us temporary deliverance from these things. It's establishing ourselves in the righteousness of God that provides permanent deliverance for us. That's why the Word is what should turn us on and set us free. Another one, Romans chapter 5. This one will really bless you. If you thought that one did, this one will really bless you. Thanks be to God. Our future is provided for. Thanks be to God. There's going to come a day that people are going to be punished in eternal damnation. But you know what? 
because we are the righteousness of God in Christ, we need not fear the wrath that is to come. Verse 9, much more than being now justified or made righteous by the blood of Jesus, we're saved from the wrath of God that is to come. We don't concern ourselves with the second death. We're free from the wrath of God. Delivered because we've been made the righteousness of God in Christ. Just write it down. 2 Corinthians 3, verses 4 and 5. Feelings of inadequacy. If you have any feelings of inadequacy, that's the Scripture to meditate and get down deep on the inside of your spirit, man. Get on the inside because it says that He is our sufficiency. He is our ability. He is more than enough in our lives. So, in other words, we're free from inadequacy, feelings of inadequacy. And another one is found, and just write the Scriptures down. We'll have to turn to them. There's not time. 1 Peter 3.12 and James 5.16. Read those Scriptures. They say that our righteousness affects our prayer life. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous. His ears are attentive unto their prayers. If you're righteous in Christ, then the eyes of the Lord are upon you and His ears are open. We don't have to beg Him and say, I'm so unworthy. Glory to God, He made us worthy. He made us righteous. His eyes are upon us. His ears are open. And in James 5.16, it says, The effectual fervent prayer of the righteous man. Aren't you glad you don't have to earn your righteousness? Righteousness status is not earned. It is given to us by virtue of the blood of Jesus. We're righteous before God. And our effectual fervent prayer makes much power available, dynamic power, in its working. And another thing it, it does, and we said we'll save this for last, so let's quickly do it. The new relation, it gives us a new relationship with God. A new relationship with God. Theirs was one of servants. But this righteousness that's imparted to our spirits gives us the relationship of sonship with all of its privileges. Make note of it. A relationship of sonship with all of its privileges. In 2 Corinthians 6.16, he said, Come out from among them. Be separate, saith the Lord. I will dwell in you. I will walk in you. I will be your God. You'll be my children. Come out from among them. I'll be a father unto you, and you'll be my sons and my daughters, saith the Most High. We're not just servants of God. We are the sons of God. 1 John 3.1 says, Beloved, look what manner of love the Father bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. We are the sons of God. Romans 8.15 said, We've not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. We've received the, the, the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, not just God, Abba, Father. Righteousness gives us a new relationship with God that never before existed. Only in the person of Jesus Christ, Adam did not have this high relationship with God Himself. He could have had it if he'd have partaken of the tree of life, but he failed to do so. He partook of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and died, became a child of the devil, not the child of the living God. But thanks be unto God that we've been delivered from the spirit of death. We've been delivered from the powers of death. We're no longer the children of the devil, as Jesus said in John 8. You're of your father the devil, and you do his works because he's a liar from the beginning and a murderer, and there's no truth abiding in him. But we are of the truth. We are children of the Most High God, born of the Spirit, washed in the blood. He is our loving Father. He provides for us. He cares for us. We have all kinds of privileges as sons and daughters of the Most High God. We have a right to the name Christian, the name of Jesus. We have the right to the Father's family. 
We have a right to spend eternity in the family home. We have a right to use the God-given, God-ordained authority there is in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have all kinds of rights and privileges. The right to deliverance. The right to healing. The Bible says that healing is the children's bread. We are the children of the Most High God. We don't just partake of the crumbs, beloved. We are the children of God. The spirit of adoption is crying within our hearts, Abba, Father. Righteousness gives us a new relationship. We're a new species of being. And as we walk forth in that reality of righteousness, anything that Satan can and tries to do to us, he cannot succeed. The Bible says we're more than conquerors in all those things. Because nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. Are you excited about this? Let's all stand before the Lord. Thank you for listening to our Legacy Teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.